have your Bibles, open it to John chapter 11, because I want to pick up where we were last time, and I've entitled last week's message, this week's message, Purposeful Problems, because that's what we see going on in this text, and we just began to really scratch the surface of this account that's recorded for us here in John chapter 11 of the physical death and then the resurrection of Lazarus. And even more than that, what this account reveals to us about Jesus Christ in light of life and what happens with life and in our own life. And I was thinking about that as Marina was sharing with us the people's lives over there. And then the implications of that relationship we have with Jesus Christ and how that affects our lives. Remember, I gave us an outline to just the first six verses, and I and I want uh, to remind us that that's not some kind of infallible thing that I've gotten from the text. It's just something to hang our thoughts on, something by way of the text that it reveals to us just to think about and hang our, our thoughts on. I, I love all 57 verses of this book or of this chapter, but the first six verses are especially intriguing to me as I, as I read them continuously. We began last time to look at this multifaceted, if you will, uh, event, and we begin to look at it through different lenses. And the first lens was the people that were involved. And you remember we looked at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus as we see them as the involved people. And we studied each of their lives in a, in a really a brief way and, and the effect that this miracle had on them as individuals. And you remember I said... That Martha was a servant, that's what she seemed to do and exude in her life, and that her service to others was profoundly affected when she took her eyes off Christ, but when her eyes were on Christ and solely upon Christ, she served in a way that was so different. Lazarus, of course, uh, was so identified with Jesus Christ that even uh, after his resurrection, after he was brought back from from death that he stood for Christ in every way. He wanted to be so identified with Jesus Christ and in fact was identified with Jesus Christ that I called him the quiet evangelist even though in the text we don't hear a word from Lazarus. We see his life as the example of evangelism around to those around because people were flocking to the area just to see him. And then of course the effect on Mary's life was one of understanding more about the Lord. She sat at Christ's feet regularly and Mary understood why Christ came to the earth and spent so much time learning from Him. She was willing to even expend the most precious of items that she had, even upwards of thousands of dollars worth of perfume just because she wanted to anoint Christ. So each of them were profoundly affected by their contact with Jesus Christ. But before we, there ever was a change in their life, there was this purposeful problem. I was thinking about the people of Belarus, and I was thinking about other places I've been in the world, Honduras and China and other places like that, and, and the reality of purposeful problems in all of our life, and this is what was taking place with them. And it was a problem that hit very close to home with them. And I'm sure that each one of us here, as we think about it, and as we read the account of this, we would uh, 
say the same about our own lives. The problem was in the area of personal relationships. That's where the problem lies here. In the area of personal relationships. Relationships that they had with one another. In this, in in the case here, it's a, two sisters and their brother, and their brother is very ill. But for us, it might be something else. But still, it's a relational problem. It's a human on human kind of issue, a problem in life that comes about because we are simply human, and all of us, from time to time, develop not only close relationships. We, we have been designed by God as relational people, so we develop them within our families and outside of our families. We are relational beings, and because of that, we build and become attached with other people. Whether it's family members, close friends, whatever the case, we become close to them and attached to them through relationship. And we see that here in this text. And we would give anything many times to just sustain those relationships and never have them severed in any kind of way, never have them disrupted in any kind of way. But we know from life, through the course of time and through the reality of God's providence, that events and other things intrude upon our relationships and we soon find ourselves removed from those relationships or at least separated in some kind of way, maybe Maybe a lifelong friend moves away. Maybe it's um, a death of someone we really uh, saw as a mentor and a leader in our life and suddenly they're taken away through some circumstances and maybe even like this death. And we just wanted to ask them one last question, one last time to get their advice and we couldn't do that. Maybe it's a family member who's sick. But whatever it is, and by God's design, the relationship is over. It's ended. I know all of us can identify with that kind of issue. Some of us probably more than others. But the question that I want to ask tonight, that I want to remind us of tonight is this. What do these problems do to our lives? What do these kinds of problems do to our lives? What are we to think when these kind of things take place? We could turn to a lot of places in Scripture to get answers to that questions, but I don't think there's any better place than right here in John chapter 11. And I think through, as we think through how Martha and Mary responded to the purposeful problem in their life. Let me say that none of what I'm going to say tonight to us is new, right? Everything that I'm going to say to us tonight and the principles that we're going to draw from this text, we've heard. We all have probably at one time or another thought about it, but we know from our own life and from this text that we need to be continually reminded of it. Did you ever wonder that why God just doesn't change the word from week to week or from year to year and give us another volume, an updated volume and a redacted volume and, and something because we already read the first volume, let's get volume two. God doesn't do that. You know why? Because we need to be reminded of what he already told us all the time. He's told us what we need to know and we need to be reminded of it all the time. So when we come to texts like this, we are reminded once again because we forget so often what we need to remember. And so the point of these first verses is simple. 
So simple that upon reading verse 3, if you're not careful, you'll breeze right over it and what it's really teaching us. John says to us in verse 3, The sisters therefore sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. I hope when I read that you got the point. Let me read it again. The sisters therefore sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. If you didn't get the point, here it is. Even those whom Jesus Christ loves are not immune to the problems of life. Even those whom Jesus Christ loves, they are not immune to the problems of life. I was thinking about as I was driving here, thinking about that reality and what the world says about God if the world acknowledges God at all, right? God is a loving God and the implication from that statement is therefore there shouldn't be any trouble. And yet right here in John chapter 11, Martha and Mary send word to Jesus and say, Jesus, the one whom you love is sick. Even those whom Jesus loves are not immune to the problems of life. And I believe this is one of the reasons why the Spirit of God had John write what he wrote here in this account. Because far too often, in a a practical way in our lives, far too often when difficulties come, we as Christians are surprised when these kinds of things happen to us. I remember years ago when I was in Ohio and having some difficulties there, I, I said to a Uh, Another friend of mine who I was talking to, he said, you're really not surprised that this is going on, are you? And it was kind of a cold water in my face and shocking to me. And I I had to think about it. And I said, "Well, well, I'm not surprised that these things happen to people, but I am surprised it's happening to me. It's just the mentality, I think, that we have sometimes as Christians. This is happening to me. We are surprised that this kind of thing should be happening to us. And I believe this is why God gave us verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Because from a human perspective, verse 6 seems to be a contradiction with verse 3. Without the reminder of verse 5. Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when therefore he heard that he was sick, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, if he didn't have verse 5, verse 6 would go, really? Because when Mary and Martha send word to Christ, they send it based upon the fact that they knew that Jesus loved Lazarus. And in spite of his love for their brother who was sick, even to the point of death, Jesus stays another two days. And I think there's surprise in their words in verse 3. Behold, he whom you love is sick. I think there's a a sense, a, a little sense of surprise. Behold means pay attention here. It's as if Mary and Martha are astonished 
that this is even happening since he's the one whom Jesus loved. It's almost as if they are tactfully reminding Christ that there's a detail in their life that somehow possibly he's forgotten about. If he doesn't do something quickly to remedy the problem, there's going to be some unbearable pain for them. Lord, pay attention. Lord, behold, the one you love. Remember him? He's sick. Listen, we do the very same thing, don't we? I know I do. As we think about life, as we think about it in, from our own hearts, our own little deals, we, we oftentimes express that kind of attitude before t- to God in times of crisis, don't we? Lord, uh, hello, you wake up there? The one you love, remember me? The one you love's having a problem here. You see, if that's us, and I think we all do that from time to time, then we have to know in a practical way that we cannot be surprised that it's happening to us. And I'll tell you why. Number one is this. Even though we are loved by Jesus Christ, just like... Mary and Martha, we are still here in the human realm. We're still here. What I mean by that is that by the very fact that we live in a fallen and sinful world and that we are physically mortal, physically, we're going to suffer and face crisis. Even though we're loved by God, We're going to face difficulty. Charles Spurgeon once said this about this very truth, quote, The love of Jesus does not separate us from the common necessities and infirmities of human life. Those who are saved are still mere men. We could say the same thing in the words of Eliphaz, one of the counselors to Job throughout the entire book of Job. In Job chapter 5, verse 7, here's how Eliphaz says it. Man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. In other words, which by the way is probably the best thing Eliphaz said to Job. (laughs) Eliphaz is saying, listen... Just as a spark will inevitably fly up in the heat of the flame after it's burned up and goes skyward, so too you and I are going to have trouble in life. In other words, you can be, you can count on it. It's guaranteed. So don't be surprised by it. The writer of Hebrews tells us that man has been appointed once to die and then comes judgment. So first of all, it should never surprise us that even though we are especially loved by Christ, that we face difficult times. But there's a second truth that lies in this, and that is this. Because we are loved by God, because we're just like Lazarus, loved, Mary, Martha, they're loved, whatever happens is good. Whatever happens is good. 
because we know from other places in Scripture, and particularly from this account in John chapter 11, although this sickness was not primarily unto death for Lazarus, right? Verse 4 clearly tells us that. It's for the glory that Christ would be shown, that that the very nature and reality of his divinity would be shown to all who are watching. We also know that it was God working in the lives of all of the individuals, all three of them, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, and all of the others not written about that were there at the time. We know that God was working in all of their lives to see him as in, a, in a clearer way than they would have seen him otherwise. And through that, they would be propelled to live according to that knowledge. This is exactly what David meant when he penned the words of Psalm 119, verse 71. It is good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decree." In other words, I can't learn them any other way. It's good that I, that I would be afflicted in this way so that I would have a greater understanding and a great, greater desire to follow after the things which you decree. It's good, David was saying. It's good because it's taught me about you and what you require of me. You see, that same truth can be echoed by all of us here tonight. That same truth. Why? Because all of us have had the opportunity to endure pain, to endure difficulty, to endure fractured relationships, severed relationships. And those pains of life have taught us about God. They have taught us what He desires from us. And for that reason alone, if no other reason at all, those afflictions have been good. Therefore, we should not be amazed at these things because we live in a fallen world and because they are expressions of God's divine love and care for us personally. But I think there's a third implication from this text in in just the words of Mary and Martha in verse 3 and the implications of verse 5 to us. There's a third implication for us to think about. Why we shouldn't be amazed even subtly that there are troubles and problems for us. And that is this, because sometimes God is using the affliction for the good of others. Sometimes God is using the affliction on us for the good of others. I wonder if you've ever thought about the problems, the purposeful problems that God allows in your life in that way. That God is growing you through them and using you and your problem to grow others. Isn't that what John really is telling us in verse 4? With the purpose for the sickness of why Lazarus was sick. This sickness is, is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified by it. That is not simply for Lazarus. It's not simply that, that, that he would be raised from the dead. The sickness isn't for that point. It's, it's so that others would be affected far and wide. Certainly Dr. John Piper said it right when he said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied with him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied 
in him, and if God is glorified by some kind of an affliction in the life of you and I, then can we not say that the affliction is for God's good and for the good of all of those who glorify God through the affliction? You see, it's obvious from the reading of John chapter 11 and the story of Lazarus that there were others who were affected by his death. Not just Mary and Martha. In fact, just over in John chapter 12 and verse 9, it says, The great multitude, therefore, of the Jews learned that he was there. Who? Jesus. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus. The great multitude of the Jews. There was a, a great affecting that took place simply by the reality that this problem happened in the life of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And this is just one story. But the Bible and the history of life is full of all kinds of other stories. In fact, just look in this room, there's all kinds of stories here whereby our lives and our troubles have affected everybody else. Where the affliction of us has been for the good of others. In fact, each of us here tonight are receiving, get this, we are receiving good from the affliction of Lazarus. Right here tonight. Why? Because we're reading about it, we're thinking about it, we're meditating upon it, we're seeing the character of God on display through the difficulty in a life that took place over 2,000 years ago. That's the goodness of God. And so we have the people, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, we have the problem, this sickness, and we have the purpose that God would be glorified. And so that leaves us then quickly with just this last perplexing thought. This perplexing thought. Verse 5 and 6 says this. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when therefore he heard that he was sick, he stayed then two days longer in the place where he was. It's a perplexing thought, isn't it? That although Jesus loved Lazarus and Lazarus was extremely ill, that Jesus was willing to delay his trip to the town of Bethany for two more days. It's perplexing to me because, again, from a human perspective, we would immediately go to the bedside of our dying friend the very least, at least in our day and age, we would send an immediate text saying we're thinking about you, we're praying about you, our concern is with you, our intentions are there. We would do something like that to at least inform them that we knew of their difficulty and had them on our mind. But God didn't do any of that. Jesus is God. God didn't do any of that. He stays where he is, only 
to finally arrive in Bethany four days after the death of his friend. Why would Christ delay? What does that teach us about God? And I want all of us to know tonight that the perplexity of that thought fades completely away when we understand that Christ does not, or that Christ's delay, I should say, is not from a lack of love, but rather Christ's delay is an expression of His abundant love. It's not a delay that is an expression of a lack of love. It is a delay which is an expression of His abundant, miraculous love. Now that's hard for us to comprehend because as humans... We cannot see the end from the beginning. And far too often our minds are fogged with the, the difficulty of the situation we're in. Or we're going through some trouble and, and we want God's help and it seems as if God's not bringing help. And, and, and we're fogged with the situation and, and dealing with the particulars of whatever's going on. But even though we cannot see how the problem will end or why it has happened to us. We can assuredly know that all that is taking place is from the outflow of Christ's love to us. We can know that. Alexander McLaren, one of the late great preachers of England, said this, Christ's delays are delays of love. He's not saying there are delays in love in the sense that there is no love in the delay. He's saying there are delays as an expression of love. They are not because of indifference to the situation. They are not because Christ says, oh, well, go ahead and suffer. Don't worry about it. Christ does not delay because he does not care. That's what McLaren is saying. He's not delaying because he doesn't care. That's, that's not what's happening here in John. We act that way. We in the human realm, out of sinfulness, we, we act like that. But God will not and God does not act that way. Why? Because indifference is not a characteristic of God. It is the love of God which motivates the Apostle Paul to write to the Philippian believers this. He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. In other words, it was out of love that God chose you to be His own. It was out of love that God brought you into His very family. And it is out of love that He is working in you to perfect you into the likeness of Christ. Every affliction in your life is an outworking of that great love for you. So that means that any delay from our perspective is delay of love. And that means that it is a delay with a purpose. Because the love of God always has a purpose. And that purpose is always for the good of the one to which he is bestowing his love upon. So it's a purposeful problem. 
It's a purposeful issue. What is the specific purpose each and every time he does not rescue us out of a problem immediately? When we ask him, I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that he has a perfect purpose. It might be simply to prove your faith. Just like it was for Abraham when God said, go and sacrifice your son, your your one son, the one you love, the one of the promise. To prove your faith. Not to show God your faith is real, but to show you that God has given you real faith. God delayed the fulfillment of the promise, and by waiting, Abraham's faith grew. Might be for the purpose of just conforming your will to his perfect will. Getting you in line with what his desires are. But whatever his purpose is, the right help is always in the right time. Always according to God's perfect time. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. For... As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. My thoughts higher than your thoughts. I wonder what it would have been like with Mary and Martha had Jesus been able to send a note and he just wrote on there Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. There's one more thing I need to make clear tonight before we end. Because although in the midst of a problem we may plead with God for help and through His divine love there's a delay in in the solution or the answer to that difficulty, we have to always remember that God never delays the most important thing. What's the most important thing? He never delays spiritual help or spiritual growth. Never. Never delays that. In fact, Isaiah 65, 24 says, Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. In other words, God always does exactly what is perfect and what is good. Always. And therefore, that means He never delays your spiritual good, your spiritual help, your spiritual growth. That's happening in and through the issue. Therefore, we can trust Him. We can trust Him. Now let me take all that has been said tonight and just kind of encapsulate it for us into one thing that will help us solidify our belief in Jesus Christ. If you learn anything through this, learn this and practice it. Always see your problems through the lens of Christ's love rather than seeing Christ's love through the lens of your problems. Let me say that again. Always see your problems through the lens of Christ's love. In other words, when things are happening, 
all that's taking place is an expression of and a, and a great desire from a loving God that is allowing this. It is a purposeful problem. See your difficulties through the lens of that. Rather than measuring or seeing Christ's love through the lens of your problem. In other words, if I have a problem, therefore Christ doesn't love me. Or He loves me less. When Christ responds to our cries for help in the midst of difficulty, He responds out of love. Always. And therefore we should see it as an expression of His love, even, even, as Mary and Martha heard, even if He says, not yet. Not coming yet. Not coming yet. If we look at it from the other way, all it does is get us farther from understanding why this is happening. And then we begin to question the love of Christ. I wonder if God really is love. I wonder if Jesus cares about me. Hey, Jesus, did you take the day off? Are you there now? I mean, obviously I'm going through this difficult. But when we begin to... Uh, with, with living life in a practical way through the knowledge that Christ does love us, that He never doesn't love us, He's always loving us, and that He demonstrated that love simply by dying for us. And we can begin to see His purposes in the problem for us. And then begin by our action to glorify Him through it. That's what we're going to see as Mary and Martha begin to deal with this problem. In fact, as all the disciples begin to deal with this problem because the disciples go with him, totally misunderstanding what he's talking about. In fact, Thomas even says the crazy thing, let us go that we may die with him. I mean, they totally don't get it. But verse 4 tells us the whole purpose, why God brings these purposeful things about. Sickness isn't unto death. This is Lazarus' case. Mary and Martha's case. Yours may be different. But for the glory of God. The Son of God may be glorified by it. See, Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Mary and Martha are going to learn great lessons. The disciples are going to learn great lessons. We're going to learn great lessons about who Jesus Christ is. And yet at the same time, Every single deal that comes into our life that Jesus allows into our life is a purposeful problem so that God would be glorified and the Son of Man would be glorified through it. Now let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time tonight. Thank you for the report we heard from Belarus, the ministry taking place over there, people hearing the gospel. We thank you that you took care of much. Lord, we'd ask that you would use these things we've heard tonight about the difficulties with Mary and Martha and Lazarus and the love of Jesus Christ to them, that we would see it in our lives as a purposeful thing, not as a challenge to us. So we're grateful for all that you have taught us and all that you are 
continuing to teach us. May you be honored through us as we respond rightly to these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.